morning and welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church. My name is Isaiah Hawks. I'm the children and preschool pastor here and I am standing in front of the entryway doors to the church. You know, it's no surprise to you that we've not been in our building for the past few weeks. We've not been through these doors for the past few weeks and yet this past weekend I was reminded of these doors. See, the pastoral staff has sent out a questionnaire this past weekend, and, and we've gotten a few responses, and, and we're thankful for that because we are trying to lead in a way that takes into account every single member of our congregation. So if you haven't had a chance to answer the questions in the questionnaire, please take some time today to do that. One of the questions that, that, that stood out to me, and really one of the answers, the question went like this, what would you be willing to do if it meant that you could get back into your building? And here's, here's the answer that the person gave. I don't know who it was, it was anonymous, but this person said this. They pointed to these doors and, and really to the sign above and said, whatever it takes. You know, I believe that. Pastor Bob believes that. Pastor Wayne believes that. Pastor Jeremiah believes that. We believe that we are ready and willing to do whatever it takes to get back into our building, which is why we are making plans to get back into our building this coming September. So would you please pray for us? Pray for us as we lead and as we move as a, as a body, as a local body of Christ, as we move forward in the direction that best fits every single member of our congregation. May we pray for one another and, and, and take into consideration each one of our needs. So please take some time today to do that because we've got a lot of choices that have to be made, a lot of decisions that have to be made, and, and it's going to be hard. And it's kind of fitting that Pastor Bob today is going to be preaching out of the book of Exodus and going to be looking at Pharaoh and going to be looking at Moses and really bringing our attention to hard choices that have been made in biblical times. And so, so today, take some time, make sure that we are focused on what God has for us today so that we can be focused in looking forward to what we need to be doing. So at this moment, I just want to pray for us and help, help, hopefully get our minds set on what God has for us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I do just want to lift up your name because it is worthy of honor, praise, and glory. God, I thank you for who you are and really how you've shown yourself to us. God, you've made choices and you've made decisions to make yourself known, and, and we are the better for that. You didn't have to, Lord. You didn't have to send your son, and yet you made that decision. Lord, be with us in our decisions. May we see you in our decisions, and may we see you at the end of our decisions. Lord, help our minds to be on you today. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. I want to encourage you, go to the Stay Healthy page and, and print out the discussion questions for today's sermon. We've compiled them all into one sheet so that it can be helpful for the entire family unit. And so take some time to do that now. And, and I'm going to actually transition and, and get ready to hear a few testimonies from our EBC youth and our EBC kids programs. They've been doing a lot of things this, this past week. And so they, I, I, we've got a few people that just want to share what's been going on. And so right now, I'm just going to kind of transition over to those testimonies. Bye. Lead the Cause Virtual is a great experience for teenagers to go out there and get real field experience about sharing the gospel with the lost. We get to pray for them, we get to share the good news with them, and we get to care for them, whether that be, the, whether that be physical care, um, food, drink, 
a blanket. Uh, emotional care, if they've gone through trauma recently, um, surrounding COVID or whatever. Spiritual care, getting to show them the gospel and to help them believe the truth about God. Or whether they just need a hug. I, I know I need a good hug now and again. Um, but just getting out there and being able to share the gospel in the real world where people aren't as receptive to us Christians is a great experience and I wouldn't trade it for anything else. Hi, I'm Hope. This and is Sawyer. Right, and we are here to tell you a little bit about our week with VBS. Um, and we actually thought we'd just go ahead and be real about it. And we kind of sat on the bed every day. And um, Pastor Isaiah and Miss Leah and uh, Melissa worked hard to get this uh, really cool interface together for us to be able to um, just look at the different videos that went with each day. And so we're going to tell you a little bit about what we did um, every day and our favorite experience that we had. So first... Uh, we had a an animal that was introduced to us every day. And what was your favorite animal for the week? I would say Finn the fish. And why? Because I love learning about fish and I just like how, um, like they're so interesting and all that. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think my favorite was Sierra the mountain lion. She was just beautiful and, uh, Mountain lions are just amazing creatures, so I think that was mine. Yeah, she really likes mountain lions. All right, and so when we also had in our little bag, we had a Bible storybook. Pastor Isaiah, Pastor Isaiah did a great job with an introduction every day uh, with getting us ready and a little teaser on what the, what the Bible story would be about. What was your favorite day? Today. Today, which is the... the car one. The fin. Oh, yes, with the car, yes. But uh, what was the Bible story about Jesus? It was about Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection, yes. That was really uh, very impactful. I think mine was the first day uh, where uh, we learned about Philippians 4, 8 and about how Jesus uh, helps us to do hard things. And it just kind of hit home with everything that we're going through this time period and uh, with the coronavirus and everything. So I thought it was... Um, it was just really good. And then we also would end with a craft every day. And each craft was really, really cool. Very easy to do for each of the kids. Um, and what was your favorite craft? I would say the Hope and Hover. Hope and Hover. Can you show us how it works? You know how it works, but okay. Show us. Woo! Very cool. It's the best I can do. It's kind of broken. That's good. Um, and I think that's probably my... my coolest i felt like that was the coolest craft too so anyway thank you again for getting it together for us even though we couldn't all be together which is definitely something that's um more pleasant but we still were able to learn a lot and uh, be able to learn about jesus even though it was on our in our bed sadness from wherever you've been. Come broken hearted, let rescue begin. Come find your mercy, O sinner, come kneel. Earth has no sorrow, heaven can't heal.
Good morning, and welcome to Ebenezer Baptist Church. I'm glad you've chosen to join us online this morning as we begin this new series called Recalibrate. We're going to be looking at the book of Exodus, and specifically Moses and his life and what God did through him. See, we can discover the truth of God's story through the life of Moses. And so we're going to begin with his, with his birth, and we're going to move through different episodes in his life that show how God worked and how God accomplished what he wanted to accomplish. You see, we can operate from a spirit of fear. We can be afraid of our circumstances. We can be afraid of those around us, and we can feel like we're being threatened. And at the same time, we have the chance or the opportunity, and maybe it's a, a bad opportunity, to make a rash decision um, void of the wisdom of God and the insight of God. So we're going to pick up this story right away 
as we start with Exodus chapter 1, starting at verse 8. It says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And if you remember, Joseph um, was sold into slavery. He went and was part of the household of Pharaoh, or not, not really the household, but the, the elite, the ruling part of Egypt, and did wonders for the country of Egypt. And he brought down his family to live in that very fertile region in North Egypt. And so it says that there arose a new king who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them or wisely with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, let us set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh's store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And you see what Pharaoh is doing here is he's saying, if we put more labor on them, they won't have the energy to multiply and become great. It says, and the, and the Egyptians were, dread, were in dread of the people of Israel. Verse 13. And so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. So you get the picture that Pharaoh sees them as a threat and when he looks at them as a threat, he, decide, he makes a decision to appoint taskmasters to curve their ability to multiply and to put heavy labor on them and then to deal ruthlessly with them going forward. Unfortunately, that didn't work. In fact, it, it kind of had the opposite effect. And so what we see is we see Pharaoh operating out of a spirit of fear. He was threatened. Um, he, maybe he felt his, a loss of power, a loss of um, control, um, a loss of nation. Because at that time, you would see nation fight against nation. And we may think when we are making decisions, much like Pharaoh, that we're the only ones in that decision. And that we, our, our problem is unique to us and that we are alone in that. And so our response to even fear or threat may be something that, that we need to consider. And we think that when we make a decision out of fear or be feeling like we're threatened, um, that that decision won't make a difference going forward. When it's just really the opposite is true. When we make a choice, we are, one, we are not alone. Um, but one, we have the Holy Spirit living within us Secondly, we have a group of folks that have come alongside us called the church. It's the people of God who, who also have the Spirit of God in them. And our decisions do affect the future. They do have an impact on what happens going forward. And so, how do you respond when you feel threatened? How do you respond when you're in fear and have to make a choice? Well, here in what we read in this passage is the Pharaoh out of that dealt ruthlessly with them or 
rigorously with them. It was the idea of cruelty and harshness. And that affliction actually led to the multiplication of the nation. See, the persecuted church, and if we were to put ourselves in the same place as the Hebrews, the persecuted church has always thrived when put under pressure or put under harshness. And so Pharaoh made two decrees. Um, he said first, he, he talked to, to the midwives, he said, kill all the baby boys that are born. And then we see in the, the other part of the last part of chapter 1, when that did not work, and these midwives came back and said, these women are strong. And, and they give birth before we can even get there. Then he made a second decree, and he said, then take the baby boys and throw them into the Nile. Now the presumption is that it would, re, it would result in death. It was also the presumption of, a, of disappearing evidence. When, um, when our son was off in, at college in northern Kentucky, um, we had an episode and, and a situation where I went to his location, I went to his apartment, and we sat down and we discussed faith. And we discussed his faith. Because he said, I'm not sure about your faith. And there, there were some responses in that. And as I listened, and that was a, a key to dealing with his situation, is stopping long enough to listen before giving advice or saying anything. My job at that point, because of the crisis, because of hard choices that would need to be made, my job at that point was to pray, was to listen, and then wait. Wait for God to do what God does. And so Stephen's story is largely an unwritten story. Now he's years removed from that conversation. But he's still working through his faith and, and honing what his belief system is as he trusts Christ for his salvation. So it's a, But at that point, the path was cut for a future for navigating faith and trust in God moving forward. See, our decisions cut a clear path for the future. So what we decide when we're in the middle of hard things, what we decide then can often cut the path for what the future is going to look like. There are three principles of life and decisions that I want to run through real quick, and then we'll talk about what it means um, to recalibrate. The first principle is the conditions of life may force undesirable fear. Now, we go through things and we don't want to be afraid, but the conditions or the circumstances of our life cause us to step back in fear and to have this anxiety. I know when I was growing up, if I had a test in front of me, I would have some anxiety. I would have a churning in my stomach because of the fear um, of that test and whether I studied or not I still had some anxiety related to that so the conditions of life may force undesirable fear secondly your context may demand hard choices yeah the choices aren't always easy and the context of those choices can be very tough let's say a doctor walks into the exam room and talks to you very bluntly and plainly that you have cancer. So that is the context that requires some hard choices because of what's going on in your life. 
Thirdly, a crisis may provide an opportunity for you to trust God. You know, when we come up with a choice, we really want what God wants. And when we have that in front of us, a lot of times it is an opportunity for us to step into our faith instead of away from our faith. It's, a, it's an opportunity for us to lean into God instead of leaning away from God. So the two goals of our Recalibrate series is to recalibrate our attitude toward God's purpose for our lives. So we're going to look at God's big story and we're going to say, God, what do you want of me? Help me to recalibrate my attitude, my thinking, and my action to fulfill your purpose. Secondly, to recalibrate our attitude toward the small things within God's big story. This is one of those things where we don't immediately see how God is at work, but we make a decision trusting God, being faithful to Him, and looking at His Word and saying, God, I may not understand everything that's going on in my life or in the context of my life, but I want to rely on Your wisdom and make this what seemingly is a small choice. I want to make it in such a way that it brings glory and honor to you going forward. You've seen it in people's lives where a small choice has big consequences and it changes the legacy or it changes the, the story, the, the human story from, from something that may not be godly to something that's godly. Or the other way around. See, we recalibrate our lives and to recalibrate means that there is a standard that we look at Um, i brought a couple of things with me i I brought this measuring cup from home now we've had this measuring cup for uh, a long time and it it has seen its share of dishwasher um, scrubbings and and those kind of things and and really it's a i think it's a two cup glass cup of papyrus cup but there's no markings on it. And so I could fulfill or try and follow a recipe and I could fill this up, but I would be guessing because the standards are not visible for me. On the contrary, I have this graduated cylinder that I use out in the garage and it has markings on it that are very clear. So if I need to measure this much, then I can clearly see how far I need to come up in the cylinder with whatever I'm putting in here. And so it's important for us to look at the standard of God's Word when we're going to make decisions so that we can recalibrate our lives to what God desires. It's adjusting to God's standard, purpose, and His story. So let's jump into this second part of our... um, of our scripture passage today because now we're going to look at Moses or the beginning of Moses' life. And um, in verse 22, this is the last decree of Pharaoh, what he said. He said, Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. And then verse 1 of chapter 2. Now a man from the house of Levi took as his wife a Levite woman. And we find out in chapter 6 the names of these two individuals. And it was Amram and Jochebed. And the woman conceived and bore a son 
And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him three months. And when she could not hide him any longer, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch, or tar and pitch. And she put the child in it, placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister stood at a distance to know what would be done to him. Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river, and while her young women walked beside the river, she saw the basket among the, young, among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the baby was crying. And so she took pity on him, or had compassion on him, and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then the sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, this is the, the baby's sister, said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? So there's this connection where the Pharaoh's daughter realizes it's a Hebrew child, but and she doesn't want to kill the child, so she's really going against the decree of Pharaoh. And so the, uh, Moses' sister comes along and says, do you want me to fa- fetch someone from the Hebrews to come and nurse the child? And that would be a natural connection. And then the sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me. And I will give you your wages. Now that's a, that's a deal. And so the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Let's pray as we continue looking at this passage or these two passages in Exodus. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the story of Moses' life. Even this beginning part that seems so strange to us. Father, I pray You'll give us insight as we look at it. And Father, out of that, um, as we make our decisions, Father, may our decisions and choices glorify You. And Father, we know that You are faithful to protect us and to take care of us. And be the God that Your Word says that You are. So Father, give us the mind of Christ. May we even learn something new this morning that would drive us to trust You more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so this baby is born, and, and Jochebed, who's the mom, hides the baby for three months. It says in Hebrews 11.23, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. So it's really not Moses' faith, it's Jochebed's faith and Amram's faith, because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. So where we saw in chapter 1, the Pharaoh responding and reacting out of fear and feeling threatened, here was a direct threat on on this couple, and yet they didn't fear the Pharaoh and his decree. What they really did is they feared or respected God, and they trusted Him. Now here's a question. What? Because we, we see where Jacobin makes this decision to 
placed the baby. She hid him for a while, and, and, and that seemed to go okay. But then she took him and placed him in this basket and put him in the reeds along the Nile River, which is pretty dangerous in and of itself. Um, so what did or how did Jacobin make that decision? Uh, the fact is, what did, or we could ask the question, what did God whisper into her ear that would make her so confident that it was okay to leave the baby like that? Now, I don't think God whispered anything to take such a risk. I don't know that God revealed anything. Now, if God had, had kind of whispered in her ear, she said, he said, Jochebed, this is, this is what's going to happen. Pharaoh's daughter's going to come by, and everything's going to be okay. He's going to be saved, and, and he's going to rise not just in Pharaoh's household, but to a leadership in Pharaoh's household, but he's going to rise to kill an Egyptian taskmaster. And then he's going to be exiled for 40 years on the backside of a mountain, learning what it is to trust God. And then at some point, I'm going to appear to him. I'm going to make him take off his shoes. I'm going to appear to him and call him to go back to Egypt to free my people. And so he's going to do that. He's going to help the, the Hebrews get free of Egyptian slavery. And then he's going to lead them to wander in the desert for 40 years before they get to enter the promised land. And I'm going to take them all the way to the brink, but he's not going to get to see it. Now, if, if God had come and whispered that in Jochebed's ear, would that have made a difference? Sure it would. Because if you know how things are going to turn out, then the choices to follow God seem to be a lot easier. But she didn't know that. It was just all about obedience to God without foreseeing what was going to happen, without knowing the result. And the truth is, when we are faced with choices and we look at God's truth, sometimes we have to make a choice based on what we know of God, not what we know of the future. And so we trust God. She had no idea. This one act of obedience was there because she trusted God. And she wanted, and she, I think she really wanted her boy, she wanted Moses at some point to glimpse how God had worked in his life and in that family's life. And so do you approach decisions with that in mind? Like when you are faced with a decision, do you ask God to reveal how you should decide, but you, but you base what you do and how you make that choice on the idea that I want people to see God. I want my kids to see God. I want my other family members to see God. I want my community to see God. Is that the way we make choices? Or do we make it looking at ourselves? Which is what Pharaoh did as opposed to Jochebed. So God took her simple, unrefined, imperfect obedience to accomplish something great. Now look what it said in verse 6. Chapter 2, verse 6, when she opened it, talking about that, that basket, she saw the child and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. That word pity means compassion. And you know that when we look through Scripture, what we see is a God of compassion, a God of mercy. And there are, there are a lot of examples that we could look at where we see this principle of mercy or compassion fleshed out. 
We saw David have compassion on Saul in that cave when he could have easily just taken his head off and been done with the chase. But, but David recognized that was not God's plan and had compassion on Saul. We see Jesus looking over Jerusalem and, and weeping over the city of Jerusalem because they did not recognize Him as the Savior. Or from the cross, having compassion on those that were there, visible, and even the guards and the, the Roman centurions that had put them on the cross. And then we see Paul having compassion for the Gentiles. It would have been easy for Paul, who was a Pharisee-type guy, who had been raised in Hebrew culture and Hebrew and the Hebrew Scriptures, to say, forget the Gentiles, I don't want to have anything to do with them. But he was sensitive enough to God's Spirit and, and went to the Gentiles with the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And for that very reason, we have experienced new life through Jesus Christ. It's been passed down from generation to generation. So choices make a difference. It made a difference for Moses and, and Jochebed and Amram's family. It makes a difference in your family. See, there are three evidences of trusting faith, of the trusting faith of Jochebed. The first one is release. She did all she could to preserve, to provide, to protect for Moses. But it, when it came right down to it, there was a limit to what she could do. She had to let go of her personal desires. You know how hard it was probably to take that baby and to set it in that basket and just lay it there and walk away? Incredibly difficult. That's not what she would have wanted to do, but she trusted God in the midst of that. She had to make a hard choice, and I believe it was a process of choices that they even went through to get to there. See, they had to make a decision to have a child to, with, with essentially without a future, to secretly care for the child and then to release or relinquish control. And then even to send the eldest daughter, Miriam, to go and watch and to talk to Pharaoh's daughter and ask about the care of the child. This is what we read about God's mind in us, and I think it was in Jochebed at that point, that, that we can have. It says in Isaiah 26.3, You keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts you. And so God can give us peace even in the midst of hard choices when we allow Him to be in control. And then 1 Corinthians um, 2.16 says that we have the mind of Christ and that's the, in the context of spiritual insight, being able to understand and comprehend and move forward with, um, with the idea of what God wants versus what man wants. Being able to distinguish between the two. So release is one of the evidences of trusting faith, the trusting faith of Jochebed. The second thing is the rescue. Uh, God's provision or providence and, and sovereignty as Moses survives. You know, how many ba Hebrew baby boys were placed in the river, then, and we don't have record of it, but how many were placed in the river that did not survive? You know, what did the river look like at that point in the history of Egypt? 
Essentially, what, what Pharaoh was doing was a version of abortion. Trying to get rid of a whole generation of Hebrew boys. And at this point, the, God's providence and sovereignty kicks in and He, he saves Moses. And it was an incredible story. The third evidence is restoration or to restore. God saw fit to return Moses to his own mom. You, you know that's got to be God's grace. It's God's grace for protection, for provision. And I believe it, it even goes one step further because she had taken care of Moses. She had protected him and provided for him to that point. And she let go and let God do His thing. And then the baby is given back to her and she gets to protect and provide for him again. But I also think it includes preparation. Because Jochebed was given the task of raising the child to a certain point. And so she got to lay the foundation, the groundwork for a faith that would drive Moses to do certain things. Uh, obviously, as we get further in this story, we, we know that Moses was not perfect. Moses had some flaws. He had a temper. He had some issues. But God was preparing him for what was ahead. And to Pharaoh's daughter, it enabled Moses to experience an education in a context that he would have otherwise not had the opportunity to experience. And we're in the midst of this virus. And our contexts have changed. Some of it we, we grab onto or gravitate to, but some of it we don't. Some of it we'd like to push away. The opportunity is there for us to experience a context that is different and to grow in certain areas of our life. See, this is the beginning of Moses' story. And it will ultimately be part, as we look further, be part of God's mega-narrative, um, a meta-narrative of redemption and restoration. And so what part did Jochebed play? with Moses in accomplishing God's story. Well, from this point, from this side of the cross, we can look back and read the episode and understand that Jochebed had a, a weighty decision and a weighty influence in the life of Moses. And it made all the difference in the world in how God would lead His people from Egypt back to the promised land. Here's some takeaways for this morning. Not every story has a positive ending from a human perspective. You may say, well, wait a minute. I thought this was supposed to be some good news. It is. You see, we don't understand everything that God is doing behind the scenes. Ask Job. Because we get to read his story, and, and yet we look at that and we say, I don't understand, but, but there are people around us they go through things, maybe even you going through things, and you say, God, I don't understand the circumstances of this. And from a human perspective, we may not understand it then, and we may see a tragic ending to it that we don't understand as well, and we never really fully grasp what God is doing. And not every story is going to have a positive ending from our perspective, but God is working things out in a way that would bring Him glory.
The second thing is that your story is uniquely part of God's story. Your story is uniquely part of God's story. So you may think, I'm a nothing. I don't amount to anything. I have no influence. I'm not in a position of leadership. You know, whatever it is. Or maybe you're in those positions, but you still don't think that you're making a difference. I want to tell you that your story, whether it's small or in, the, in terms of this life or is big, your story is part of God's story. And God wants to accomplish something great through you. And whether it's great in the eyes of those around you or not, up for debate. But what is God doing in your life to finish His story of redemption and restoration? See, God is at work maturing you. He did that in the life of Jochebed. I don't think Jochebed got to this point where she could trust God and let go of Moses along the side of the Nile without um, a process that got her to that place. And so what is God preserving in your life that would teach you? What's God preserving in your life? The things around you. Maybe it's your family. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your... um, Maybe it's just your influence in the community. What is God preserving in your life that's part of the bigger story? And then what is God eradicating in your life? What's He yanking away from you? And, and we, we struggle with that because we don't want God to take anything away from us that we're comfortable with. But God will eradicate things from your life in, to enable His story to advance. So what is God convicting you of or working in your life about that would, that would lead you to believe that you are part of God's story? What, what is God eradicating in your life? See, it's about our willingness to let God recalibrate us. To put the markings on us of His standard so that He can accomplish His will. See, we see in Moses' life, a grand story. A really big story. A nation was built around the person of Moses. A nation was built around the person of a baby laid in the bulrushes of the Nile River. What will God do through you? And how can we apply compassion to our current situation? We saw compassion come out in Pharaoh's daughter but I think there's also compassion in Jochebed as she let go and let God do His work and then was able to bring him back into her household to prepare Moses for what was ahead. So what, where does compassion, or how can we apply compassion, the compassion of God to our everyday situation? In other words, how are you letting people see the image of God in you And how are you recognizing the image of God in others? Well, we live in a context in a world where the image of God or understanding that God has value for every single person and they are part of the grand story that God is putting together. We've lost that. And we need to get back to the point where we recognize that having the compassion of God means that we respect and listen to those around us. And at the same time, even make hard choices 
in a way that would bring God glory. Let's have the mind of Christ this week. Let's show compassion to those around us. Let me give you a very practical way that you can plug in. Um, With school starting and the various ways that that is being done even within our community, there are places where you can volunteer and places where you can plug in to help alleviate some of the pressure that parents that need to go back to work, the pressure they're feeling in, in having their child still be at home. So I would encourage you to maybe check with Mary Ann, who's director of Master's Garden Preschool, about where you could plug in there as a volunteer. Now, there'll be some restrictions, certainly, in a background check, but you may could plug in there as a volunteer to help alleviate some of the pressure in our community regarding going back to school. So that's just one way to show compassion. And you can do it on the job as well with those that are, are around you in, a, in an office situation, or you can even do it in your home. And say, God, what do you want me to do to the people so that my family sees the image of Christ and I, in turn, recognize the image of Christ in them? So let's be the people of God this week. In the midst of making hard choices, let's follow God's will and continue to live in perfect peace because our mind is stayed on the one who created the world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to look at the story of Moses' life. And as we begin this series called Recalibrate, we start looking at episodes in, in the life of Moses. God, I pray that you'll stretch us and, and teach us. Father, even in the area of choices today, that you would help us to understand that we are cutting a path for the future as we make those decisions. So help us to be wise and insightful based on the standard of your word and your character. God, we love you. We praise you. We pray these things in the mighty and strong name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Hey, thanks again for joining us this morning. I know that we were talking about hard choices and difficult decisions. And part of that discussion had to do with the mind of Christ, and the Holy Spirit living within us. Well, that doesn't happen automatically. It comes when we are in a relationship with the God of all creation through the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And it says if we will confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. You see, Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he said, For by grace you are saved through faith. It is the gift of God. It is not of works. It's not of yourself, lest any man should boast. You see, we can't save ourselves. There's a gap that sin created that cannot be taken away by any of our good works or anything that we do. You see, that's something that God provided through Jesus Christ. When God sent his son to save us, to go to a cross on our behalf, to be that sacrifice for us, it enabled us to gain eternal life. And so when we talk about the Holy Spirit living in us, it starts with receiving Jesus as your Savior and turning your life over to God. 
And so this morning, I want to give you the opportunity to do that. We're going to pray a very simple prayer. The prayer will say that I know that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself, that I need you, God, and I'm asking you to forgive me and come into my life and change me. See, God, God is very willing to do that when we ask. And so I'm going to pray a prayer, and then I'll give you a little bit more instruction when we finish. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. God, I know that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself, but right now I want to ask for your forgiveness. I want to trust that what you did on the cross over 2,000 years ago applies to me, and I want to invite you to be my Lord and my Savior. I repent from my sin. I believe in you. I trust you with all that I am. Father, help me to live in a way that pleases you and glorifies your name. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you prayed that prayer this morning, I'm going to ask you to do us a favor. If you would contact the church, and the email and phone number will be on the bottom of the screen, and let us know about your decision, because we would love to help you grow further in that relationship with Jesus Christ. So you would do us a great favor by contacting us, either by email or by phone. You know, God provides for us a great way of living life, an abundant life, but it's only through Jesus Christ. So as you face hard choices, as you face life and all that comes with life, trust Christ for all that you need. Let's go back into the worship center for one more word of instruction as we continue to go forward in meeting online as a church. Well, I'm glad you were able to join us this morning. As you know, we'll continue in online services through the end of August. And we're going to continue to check trends as we go forward. Now, I want to get back in the building maybe just as much as you do, maybe more, because I would love to have you in this place today. And I look forward to the day when we can get together. But in the meantime, we're going to trust God that He is working out His big story for our good and for the, and for the, the sharing or the, the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hey, thanks again for coming um, by video. May God bless you. Have a great week. We welcome you to join us next Sunday for our weekly worship service. If you have found this resource helpful, please do share it with others and check out our other ministries at ebcconnect.org.